Welcome back to the Warehouse Podcast. I'm Tyler. I'm Jesse. And I'm Eli. And that's right. You're hearing all three of us for a rare treat of a of a podcast with all three hosts, guys. How does it feel to be back in the saddle here? I got so excited and anxious about all three of us being here that my voice cracked when I said my name. Wow, I didn't even notice it. So we powered on through. Um, <laughs> but Jesse, how about you? How are you feeling? There was already an awkward silence there because I didn't direct the question to either one of you. So we're kind of right back at it's it. Okay. 100%. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> it, right. It feels great. Um, the O's are doing great in spring training. Um, so, you know, the the everything's positive right now uh beyond except the starting rotation but everything else is positive you know yeah i mean as we've said i've said in an episode recently spring training doesn't really matter but at the same time it's fun to get kind of you know wrapped up in all of it and and i'm feeling good too but eli you seem to want to jump in yeah i I just want to say like (laughs) baltimore's preseason dominance continues you know the ravens may have lost their streak but i you know it's just this is what we do here in Baltimore, even though I'm not actually in Baltimore right now, but this is what we do. We we dominate the preseason, and it has no bearing on the regular season whatsoever. Yeah, we win the games that don't really matter, and that's right. you know that's a badge of honor. We were talking before we started recording how growing up the Orioles seemed to win opening day most years. Um, although at the same time, while we were growing up, the Orioles were terrible pretty much every single season. So. You know, there's maybe there's a there's a flip here this year where we win the preseason, we lose opening day, and then we win 105 games in the regular season. I, I would like I'd be fine with that. I could deal with that. That's a trade I would make for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, we would get over the opening day loss pretty quickly if we won 105 games. Yes, yeah, and if we don't get swept in the ALDS that follows, that would be sublime as well. But anyway, that's you, enough. You know, oh, go ahead. I, I might trade the second game of the season for a non. ALDS sweep as well. Oh, so you would take an 0 and 2 start. Yeah, I would okay. consider extending it to wow. maybe 0 and 3 if we get a World wow. Series. Yeah. That would make that would make the 105 even more impressive because then you'd have to go 105 <laughs> and what, 50, I don't know. I can't do the math right now, but you know what I mean. Out of 160, <laughs> you'd have to win 105 out of 160. Oh, no. 159, which is 59 rather than 162, yeah. Well, if we go 0 and 3, it's 158. Yeah. I don't right. know. Yeah, I'm we've confused. Lost. We've You're lost. Right. Yeah. This is not a math pod, not a math pod. And that's been enough banter, I think. So we should probably get into the, the meat of the episode, which what we're going to do basically is structure this as like a, a preview or what we think our, our, our predictions are for the opening day roster of the Orioles. It's not necessarily the most original idea. A lot of podcasts and publications do that. But there's been some movement since I would say early February or the start of camp that we feel like it's it's a good structure for the episode. It's going to allow us to kind of dig into the roster a little bit, kind of talk about those those position battles that maybe didn't exist like two weeks ago, but I feel like they've kind of been created here recently. Um, so we're going to start with that. And I, like, this is kind of a joint prediction here. That's not like individual predictions, but we might have some disagreements as, as we go on. Did that kind of cover what we're going to talk about here? Guys, anything else to add before we jump in? Perfect. Perfect. Okay. So let's start like with the most guaranteed roster spots, which is going to be behind the plate for the Orioles. And I think we'd all agree Adley Rutschman and James McCann, you know, they're the catchers for the Orioles. Does anybody want to speak against that? No, no Samuel Asayo fans out there. No Maverick Hanley fans. I I am a fan of both of them. Asayo fan. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But Adley Rutschman and James McCann are our catchers for sure. Fair enough. Fair enough. I, I think Basayo, maybe we hear about him later in the season. I think he just got to double A last year. So we'll see. He's been injured in the in the uh, spring. So we'll see there. Then moving over to first base, Ryan Mountcastle and Ryan O'Hearn. Feels like that's locked in. Um, I feel like people have talked about Ryan Mountcastle as a trade chip at times throughout the offseason. Nothing happened there. But unless something unforeseen happens, Mountcastle, O'Hearn, that's going to be the uh, the platoon again at first base. Jess, what do you think there? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. I'm going to skip to shortstop real quick. Gunnar Henderson. Well, shortstop third base. I think we, we assume Gunnar Henderson is, is going to make the team. I feel pretty good in saying that. I don't know if anybody wants to, to have some other opinion there. No. Okay. No, no. Let's get to Jordan Westberg. I think that becomes the first kind of interesting one where I think he's going to make the team, right? We, he's going to make the team, but then what his role is going to be could be dependent on some other, other things here. On our little prediction 
here. We've got him penciled in as the second baseman. But Eli, do you have any thoughts there? Is, is Jordan Westbrook going to be the second baseman? Or how confident, I guess, do you feel in that prediction? I feel pretty confident there. I, For whatever reason, you know, I think between some combination of service time manipulation and I, I think, well, I'm looking at Jackson Holiday, of course. That's what yeah, everyone's looking let's at. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about yeah, it. Yeah. Right, let, let's just get into it. <laughs> we were Stop trying me. to t- we were trying to talk about Jackson Holiday without talking about Jackson Holiday. <laughs> right. That's uh, right. But now let's just talk about him. <laughs> yeah. So to me, um, y- you know, the incentive to put somebody on the opening day roster at this point in time is confidence that you know they will get into the top couple spots for rookie of the year and they will get you a draft pick otherwise you're going to hold them and you're going to want that extra year of service time for me jackson holiday being as young as he is does not have the best shot at winning rookie of the year i think he will struggle you know like we saw him tear through the first three levels and then a triple a you know his stats were not bad by any means don't get me wrong but he definitely did slow down a bit Um, and just because he is so young, you have to assume there's going to be some kind of struggles there. So in my eyes, I think the Orioles make the calculus that Jackson holiday probably will not be in the rookie of the year running. And, you you know, I think there's a very good argument that he could actually do with a little bit of time getting seasoned in the minors. You know, I don't think that's a stretch to say that, you know, the two weeks that he spent at triple a is not like the most ideal path for his development. Um, So he could see some more experienced pitching, some people who know how to attack him a little bit, you know, and they can manipulate his service time a little bit and then bring him up later in the year when things are a little bit more stable. And that is how I see opening day shaken out. So to me, Jordan Westberg then is probably the best option for second base. And we've got Ramon Urias at third base. Okay, fair enough. Because that's an interesting conversation too. I think like let's stick on Holiday for a second, Jess, and kind of get your take there. I think I've I've kind of talked in a previous episode about Holiday, sort of like I'm thinking the same lines as Eli there, where I I don't I mean I see how he can make the opening day roster for sure, but I think ultimately I come down on probably not, and then we see him potentially early, potentially in like May or something. But Jess, what do you think about Holiday right now? Yeah, I think I think it's a combination of right. He is just so young at this point in time. Uh, I think the Orioles have enough of an excuse to not make him a major leaguer on opening day. Um, And then it sort of becomes a question about we also have to look at the Orioles organization and sort of what's in Elias's nature. And I think all those sorts of signs lead to Holiday not being on the opening day roster. So I'm going to agree um, with with those assessments. Okay. And when you're talking about Elias's like tendencies, I, I know we talk about it on the side sometimes, but like he tends to favor like roster flexibility and, and things like that. And Holiday himself would be flexible because you can move him up and down, but his his presence on the roster then impacts other players down funnel, which... I think could include Ramon Urias. I mean, like we've talked about him as a trade chip previously because he's just a guy that obviously is an accomplished major league player. I think you feel fine when he's in the lineup. He's got a gold glove, but certainly like a step below, like spectacular. He's, he's a steady everyday player. Um, But Eli, you just kind of talked, you see Ramon Urias as on the opening day roster. And I think I would, I would be curious there to hear if you have any thoughts on like, his potential as a trade ship in the spring, you know, and then maybe that does open up a spot for holiday. What do you, what do you think there? Yeah. I, I, I think that, you know, with some of these guys on the fringes, you know, we keep talking about them as trade ships because they seem to be the people con- like, you know, contributing marginal value to the team, but also potentially, you know, deserving of a little bit more, like you said, but yes, as a guy who's got a gold glove, you know, he, hits reasonably well you know he's a league average hitter um and that has a very valuable place in major league baseball so you know he's still at below market rates because he's still going through the art process this is somebody that yeah i i think it makes a lot of sense potentially you flip him for you know a reliever somebody who could strengthen the last couple spots in the bullpen that we'll get into later 
Um, and I think that makes a lot of sense. And then, yeah, you do have a little bit more flexibility. Mateo can obviously play both the middle infield positions. You know, it might open up some third base at-bats for the likes of Kobe Mayo. Um, I, I think it gives you a lot more flexibility as the year moves on if Odias is not there holding down that utility spot. Yeah, it's a, it's a thing like, I think at this point in the spring too, it's like everybody's waiting for the other team to blink a little bit too. So I wonder how much is really out there for a trade at, at this moment. Whereas like even bad teams, they're probably holding on to stuff right now and saying like, all right, let's get into the regular season, see where we sit. And then maybe we could pull off a trade. Like we can get rid of this closer setup type bullpen guy that we don't really need. Cause we're going to only win 65 games. Um, and maybe with Urias, you secure like an infield position for the next two seasons or whatever that, that just might not be, available um right now and um, i think yeah. real quick sorry on, yeah. on a similar note to the blinking I, I think that you know bullpen arms in particular when you take a look at the season ahead you know as pitchers are ramping up to game speed you know this is the time that they get hurt and this is the time that you have the most uncertainty in what your bullpen is going to look like i think as you come into the year so i, I do think it's a bit more difficult during spring training to trade a relief arm for that reason um just because you know you pull one out and then somebody goes down and now your bullpen looks extremely thin uh heading into the season yeah fair enough jess i feel like i'll ask you this question i know we didn't like prep about this but I, you talk a lot about like with trades i feel like you talk about timing of trades a lot like i'll i'll be the one to typically be like let's go get the player now and you're like well what what benefit is getting the player in March versus getting them in July, like obviously you get them for three more months, but you maybe give up a little bit less, but like, what do you think about the timing of a trade is, is something, does that make sense now? Or if you're the Orioles, would you just wait until July at this point? Or does it not really matter? As far as Urias specifically? Yeah. Urias or, you know, we'll talk about some guys later, but yeah, let's talk about Urias specifically. Um, the timing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think right now uh, the the problem uh, for the Orioles, in a sense, is that, you know, he probably is one of the better options the Orioles have at this moment. Um, so I think that's why it makes sense for him potentially not to be traded immediately. But then, you know, a few months down the line, um, if Jackson Holiday is competing, um, you know, for the infield and that sort of thing, and maybe eventually Kobe Mayo or something like that. I think later in the season, you get into a situation where potentially Odias is more expendable. But I think if we're looking at the the infield right now, um, it definitely, you know, he's one of the, the options that we have. And I think he's a very good option. Um, and I think at this moment in time, it makes sense for the Orioles to keep him and to hold him for right now. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think I feel like we're all pretty much in agreement on the infield to this point. Um, but let's talk. Let's like kind of round out the infield by talking about Jorge Mateo. He it seems like he's being positioned as a utility role type of guy this season more than in previous where he was more of the everyday shortstop. That that role for him kind of evaporated last season as Gunnar Henderson got more comfortable, kind of became the shortstop every single day, still occasionally moved over um, against left handed pitching. But Mateo, they're pitching him as kind of like every man, like the guy that can do everything. They're going to have him play center field a little bit this season. I think he's potentially competing for a roster spot with some guys they've brought in this offseason as well, including Colton Wong, who they just uh, picked up a couple days ago. They also re-added Tyler Nevin, which Jesse talked about in a podcast earlier in the offseason. And then they also signed Nick Maton. I think that's how you say his name. Um, from the Tigers yeah. as as well. So I think that's kind of like the utility spot there. They're not all going to make it. Probably only Mateo's going to make it, but does anybody want to make a case for literally any of these other guys? Maybe Wong is the most interesting. <laughs> Jesse's shaking his head no, doesn't want to touch it. Um, I, well, I, I, go ahead, Jess. I, I was just going to say, yeah, Wong is the, the most interesting, and I think he is after, but I definitely don't see Wong you know, taking Mateo's place, that's not going to happen. Yeah. Eli, you want to jump in? Yeah, I, I agree. I don't see Wong taking Mateo's place. That said, I, I think that there could even be a spot with him. You know, if we say, like, we've got – if we're only keeping one fourth outfielder and we don't have a fifth, 
then I think Colton Wong could even have a spot and you could have something like Westberg, Gunner, Mateo, Urias, and Colton Wong all on the roster. I, I think it gets a little bit crowded, but you can kind of take credit for Mateo being uh, able to play center field. You can take credit for O'Hearn playing the corners a little bit. Um, and then, you know, you can kind of start to see the balance of the roster in that sense. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, Wong is a left-handed hitter, uh, unlike Mateo Urias and Westberg. So, you know, he does have that going for him and maybe set up a platoon kind of situation uh, between Wong and, well, Urias has reverse splits, but Wong and Westberg, maybe something like that, if Westy is struggling for whatever reason. Um, so I I, th- I think there's a path for him. Uh, clearly, he needs to show that he's going to hit a little better than he did last year. But, you know, as recently as two seasons ago, he was very much a league average hitter, particularly for a second baseman and has the gold yeah. glove in the past. So, yeah, no, I, that's a good point. I mean, I like, we're going to talk about the outfield here in a second. I think in a scenario where Wong makes the team, like you're saying, you'd probably keep fewer true outfielders, which right. can impact some young guys, which we'll talk on in a second. I think the thing about Wong, I, I do want to touch on is, you know, everything gets overblown on social media and I think when Wong signed, there was a little bit of a panic in like Orioles fandom on Twitter that he's like the next Adam Frazier. Jesse, you even called him that when we were talking before the show, like the new, like the Odor, Frazier, Wong. And people are panicking about him being brought in to block Jackson Holiday. <laughs> I think that's like a wildly, that's a big overreaction to the signing. I think it is a much simpler situation where the Orioles wanted some veteran depth on the infield and he's a guy that potentially they could sneak to Norfolk. If he doesn't make the roster, he does have an opt out if he doesn't make the opening day roster. So maybe that's not even in the, in the situation or in the conversation right now. Um, But all that to say like Jackson holiday is going to be in Baltimore when the Orioles deem him ready to be in Baltimore. And there's nobody on like the face of the earth, I think that could block Jackson holiday, but it makes it easier on the Orioles to like, give him the seasoning he needs. If you have somebody like a Wong that you feel a little bit better about playing second base or doing a a platoon thing, like you said, with Westberg, then if you don't have that and you feel like you need to panic to bring him up, Um, that's not to say there's no like service time manipulation. I think that could definitely be part of the conversation, but that's kind of my read. Uh, Jess, did you want to jump in? I mean, yeah. And I did make the comparison to Adam Frazier just because they're, they're sort of going to, serve a similar sort of role i think adam frazier is going to play you know played a lot more last year than wong probably will play this year um so that's why i sort of made that comparison there is a big distinction uh wong uh did sign a minor league deal right and we actually gave adam frazier a decent amount of money i can't remember exactly off the top of my head so when you saw that deal you're right right yeah so when you saw that signing for frazier Okay, we're not going to be we're not going to be expending these amount of resources if we're not going to allow this guy a substantial amount of playing time. So with Wong, you can see the distinction in how the Orioles went about the process and they're committing less resources to him and by extension, uh, probably less playing time. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Um, so yeah, that's kind of that. I, I Does anybody want to talk about Tyler Nevin or Nick Maton? I, I mean... These are guys on the 40 man roster that I, you know, I I think I get it from a a camp depth perspective and potentially you're sneaking them through waivers to to stick around in Norfolk and you've got guys with big league experience down there and there's some value there, but um, I don't see a scenario apart from catastrophic injury that either one of them makes the opening day roster. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to fall into the trap of, really spending time on either one but i will say nick maton had a very nice play at second base today diving to his glove side it was sweet there you go nicely done nick maton maybe (laughs) maybe your highlight of your orioles career we'll see um moving to the outfield i think again there's three guys here that are clearly making the team and that's austin hayes cedric mullins anthony santander i think with santander it'll be interesting to see how the orioles use him this year i feel like he's going to play a little more first base maybe a little more dh and a little less outfield we'll see there um, but those three are locks to make the team provided they're healthy. Then it gets a little more interesting with the younger guys, which it's this trio. And I think there's, there's two tiers here. 
it's kind of Heston Kerstad and Colton Kowser as like young guys that have gotten a taste that seem to be part of the Orioles future. And there's Kyle Stowers who made the opening day roster last year. Seems like he got jumped in terms of the pecking order of the organization. And now it's tough to see a situation where he makes it. Eli, do you have any thoughts there in terms of that young trio in maybe who's got like the inside lane on, on making the team? Yeah. I, in my eyes, I think that, um, I think they roll with Kerstad. I I think they roll with Kerstad and Kowser. I I don't wow. like how left-handed this makes our bench. I really don't like it, but I I think it's the way it happens. I think that, and, and like, you know, when I started talking, I thought it was only Kerstad, and I thought that one of these infielders we just talked about would be there. But I, I like change. I am changing my mind every time I think about it. Is the point? Um, yeah, I, I, I think they like the defensive versatility of Kowser. I, he does have the ability to uh, play some center field. There are debates out there in the Orioles podcast sphere right now as to how good he is in center. Um, I know Fangraphs doesn't like him so much. MLB Pipeline loves him, et cetera, et cetera. So differing opinions, but you know, at least in a pinch, uh, you can go ahead and you can put him, put him in center. At the very least, you could put Austin Hayes in center um and slide Kowser into left he can definitely cover that so I I think they like that versatility that said I think Kerstad is a more developed hitter of course I think you know whereas Kowser is more of a guy who has every tool at average to plus Kerstad is a guy who just mashes and that's what he does um and so I think you have a little more like ability to make an impact even in a smaller role out of Kerstad um so I think Kerstad is a more surefire bet, but I think in the end, I'm predicting that both of them make it. I mean, it's interesting. Yeah, I think it does like kind of run counter to like what most people are thinking. But, you know, to to the point I made about Santander potentially playing more first base or DH and kind of abandoning right field a little bit, you then need an everyday right fielder, which right. Kerstad potentially is that potentially Kerstad Kowser, not a traditional platoon because they're both lefties, but you could kind of make sense of that. And then not having a, we already, the Orioles already don't really have in that scenario, a traditional like fourth outfielder, because you don't have a guy that is like, I would say a natural center fielder. Like you said, Kowser's played center. He plays a lot of center, but people don't love him out there. And then Mateo again has played center, but is probably not viewed as a center fielder. Um, Right. That, that could be interesting to see both of them. It's just, it'll be a matter of, juggling the playing time then too right it, it you know. it's a very weird fit <clears throat> and, and i think the I, I think the thing that might even you know be the biggest point against it and this is where my head was before i started talking and then i flipped in the middle but <laughs> um is ryan o'hearn I, I think that ryan o'hearn really like throws holes um and, and i think it i think it might be a problem See, this is what's ridiculous is like, who is it a problem more for? I, you know, Ryan O'Hearn is a graduated and no options version of Heston Kerstad and, you know, probably will be more reliable, a more steady contributor, whereas Kerstad, he's got some strikeout issues and it will be his first full season in the bigs. So, you know, the like right field, first base, DH, left-handed bat, position on the Orioles is already filled. And as you are talking about with Santander, him potentially starting to move out of the outfield a little bit, you know, that that role is filled. But at the same time, um, you know, because we've got a lot of pieces that can rotate around, I think that, you know, the Orioles had never been shy about, you know, throwing Ryan O'Hearn out there on a day that it just makes sense and somebody needs a day off, you know. I, I think we've got, you know, with pulling somebody out of that rotation for a day off once a week, you know, there might be a way to work this out such that everybody gets two, three games starting in right field, you know, two, three games starting at first base, et cetera. And like, it works out. Um, But it is very difficult. I I think if Ryan O'Hearn is not there and Santander can fill in a bit more at first base, then that gives Kerstad a much easier path. Um, I think Kowser makes it based on his defensive merit though. Mm-hmm. Um so they kind of have two different two different things going for them. Um 
Yeah, it, it's not easy. I I no. did not envy Michael Elias. <laughs> well, it would be interesting. To, it would be interesting to know like what the thinking is right now because I I think something I've thought about is not to say Hayes, Mullins, and Santander are old because they're not. They're all still under thirty years old. But we saw Mullins go on the IL twice last year with groin injuries. We saw Hayes not go on the IL. I don't believe, but he really started to struggle in the second half or post All Star game. And we know he's had injury stuff in the past. I wonder if they want to get these younger guys in to say, like, let's get Mullins and Hayes off their feet a little bit more often because we want them closer to 100% all year versus, you know, Mullins was pretty bad after the groin injury. He was terrible in the playoffs offense. I mean, I think defensively Mullins was still quite good. So it's that's what's kind of interesting is the hitting just really fell off, but it didn't seem like his legs were necessarily gone because he was still getting to some balls in the outfield, but the offense just like really fell apart after he got back from that, that first IL stint. So I just wonder if it's like, let's have Kowser play a, a day a week in the center in center field or two days a week in center field, get Mullins off his feet. Let's have Kerstad play right field a day, left field a day. And it's just like, you're going to have more, not necessarily platoons, but just like rotations to kind of keep everybody healthy. Um, and then like you're besides that, you're going to basically have like only gunner play like every single day and everybody else is going to like cycle in and out. I don't know if that's like overly complicated, but I don't know, Jesse, if you have any thoughts in terms of keeping older players healthy or not even older necessarily, but like important players healthy. Well, my, my natural inclination is, uh, and I think this is what the Orioles are going to do. I think we're sort of in a situation where we have to do it. I don't necessarily love the idea of all these young guys having all this sort of instability and rotating around and playing different positions all the time. That's not, I don't think an ideal situation, but I sort of think with how this roster is constructed, that's kind of how our cards are dealt. And I think the Orioles do have this conundrum between Kerstad and Kowser, right? Sort of like Eli was describing Kerstad is the the bat, at least at the moment, um, has the power, has the sort of, you know, the guy you want to come off the bench late innings for a potential pinch hitting type situation or uh, coming up in a big spot, you know, in, in the batting order, um, you know, whether he's hitting seventh or something like that, you know. Um, but then, you know, on the other hand, you have Kowser, who's sort of the more not going to give you that offensive punch that Kerstad will, but it's kind of more, uh, yeah, like Eli was saying, closer to a five-tool player. Um, not saying that he is, but um, mm -hmm. closer to a five-tool player and sort of has uh, the the sort of stability, can play different positions. He can play center, unlike Kerstad. So I think that is sort of the conundrum. And I'm hoping that both of them make the team because I want to see both of them make the team. Um, but if both of them do make the team, um, yeah, Hyde is going to have some daily challenges and filling out that lineup card. So, yeah. um, but it'll be, uh, interesting to see what they do, but I, I definitely hope both of them make it. And, um, this roster is, uh, constructed, uh, in a way, and th this whole Orioles rebuild has been constructed in a way um, where we are relying heavily on our young players um, and our young talented players. And I want to see the Orioles go with that and uh, see, see what the young guys can do. So. Yeah, I, I got to back up a little bit. I, I'm like, the more I'm thinking through it. So the, <laughs> the situation where Cedric Mullins needs a day off and Austin Hayes slides over to center, theoretically, you know, if we put Mateo in center, don't, Austin I was going to say, don't forget about Mateo. Right, I yeah. got him. Mm -hmm. If Mateo stays or can play in center and Austin Hayes hangs out and left, that's okay. Um, <laughs> the situation where Austin Hayes needs a day off, if we are going to have Mateo play left, you know, and have some speed there, that makes sense. But if Kowser is not on the roster and, you know, the ghost of Ryan McKenna is standing yeah, behind we haven't, me through I haven't talked this. about him yet right but um in, in the situation where Kowser is not on the roster you know you are putting yourself in a spot where Heston Kerstad is in left in a large left field he is not a bad defender but he's not a good one either and Anthony Santander is in right or Ryan O'Hearn is in right 
that is not a good setup, particularly <laughs> with, you know, like how big the outfield is in left field. So I, in my eyes, yeah, it, if Kowser is not on the roster, Ryan McKenna has to be, is the way that I look at it. Yeah, I mean, I, the, it, yeah. the thing about Ryan McKenna is the Orioles had Ryan McKenna last year when Mullins got hurt. And they decided we need to go get Aaron Hicks, the the, the corpse of Aaron Hicks, who the Orioles then right. turned into. I won't say the Orioles turned into because he's had a really good career. He thankfully was good, but I don't think the Orioles view McKenna as like a viable everyday option. Yeah. Um. So that's why, like, we haven't talked about him yet. He's sort of on the outside looking in because he's had his moments, and I think he does bring a lot of ability on the base paths. He's he's speedy. He's not necessarily going to steal bases, but he's fast. And I think he can play a decent outfield, although I think like his physical skills would dictate he does better than he actually does end up doing. But I think like the Orioles have kind of made their decision on McKenna and he's gone as far as they're going to let him go. So I don't know that then, then what's the value of him on the team at all. If we don't think he could fill in for 10 days, you know, in a pinch, why have him when we could just turn to a Kowser or a Kerstad and potentially be better off anyway. Um I- I think the only argument for it is that it is the old like everyday playing time argument. You know, if you are seeing Kowser as somebody who you want playing every day and you do not want to fall into, you know, the like being on the bench for three days and then coming in to, you know, stand in for Austin Hayes or Mullins, like I just talked about. If you do not want him to be that because you value him too highly and you want to wait until another spot opens up, then you stick him in AAA. You know, and I think he's got nothing more to learn in AAA. Clearly, you know, he's, you know, slugging over 500 there over the course of last season, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, I do think that he, I don't know. It's just like, it's about reps. You know, it's like keeping him at peak form. You know, clearly he's, hitting the ball extremely well in spring training right now, but keeping him at peak form is a good argument for just putting him in a position where he can get everyday playing time as the center fielder. You could keep to work on that, keep working on that center field defense, et cetera. I, I, I think that there's an argument for it. Um, yeah. And McKenna's out of options. So if the Orioles value him as a death piece, maybe you're scared about him getting plucked, um, which I think he probably would be if you tried to send him through waivers. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with it too. Is uh, ultimately, I feel like McKenna makes the team, um, and then one of Kowser or Kerstad, because I think we're gonna see Santander play a lot more DH, potentially be like not an everyday DH, but he played more DH last year than ever before. I think he's gonna be there even more, and then you need somebody to play the corners, and I just think like. I think Kerstad. I think Kerstad makes the team. He, the, the offense needs pop. They need more power. And Kerstad is just that guy right now. But I could definitely see as the season unfolds, cows are coming up and being a very important part of this team. Um, but I just think right out of the gate, Kerstad makes the team. Um, and then, and McKenna. Uh, and then there's no other like additional infielders that we haven't talked about. I, I Like I've said before, I don't think Holiday or Wong make the team. Um, but then that leaves Kyle Stowers as kind of the one outfielder we haven't really talked about. Um, he's an interesting case where he made the opening day roster last year, uh, then went got sent down, and I don't think he came back up. Uh, I think he had an injury at one point. And I kind of don't really know what you do with Kyle Stowers right now. Um, I think he, he's got options, right? So they can send him back down, but then it becomes okay. Like, not that he's going to, you're not going to trade him for a ton or anything. He's not going to get you some crazy package, but if you could get anything for him and you allow him to kind of continue in his career and, and sort of do the best that he can, you know, I feel like you do that, but I don't know, Jesse, what do you think about Kyle Stowers? What, if you're a uh, Michael Elias, what are you going to do with, with the guy? Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I think, uh, I think we're sort of at a point w- with him where sort of trading him becomes the most viable option or the, the best possibility of what to do with them. Um, yeah. I mean, there is theoretically a pathway for him to make the team um, or to make the team at some point during the season, um, like with injuries and stuff like that. But yeah, I, I just think we have too many solid, 
young options coming up through the system. It seems like, um, yeah, Stowers's window is like quickly evaporating. So um, I, I don't see there's nothing Stowers does really that is it cannot be replicated in uh Kowser and Kerstad um for the most part. Um so that's really where his big um his big downside is is that uh he he doesn't really have the skills that that either of them have um and he hasn't been able to prove really granted at the major league level they haven't either um yeah. to to the same degree but um but overall uh yeah I mean I think uh his window uh is is just not there so I think the Orioles have to sort of begin to entertain okay maybe not Stowers alone for somebody else but maybe Stowers and Urias in a few months or Stowers and um you know one other of these sort of you know more fringe more triple a or quadruple a type players um you know end up getting dealt for a bullpen piece that we need or something Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, don't just you don't just give them up to give them up. I think Elias has talked about that before. Like you don't just make a move to make a move just because like Kyle Stowers doesn't have a place in, in the Orioles setup right now. Doesn't mean you just trade him. But yeah, we're kind of near the end of the rope there. But okay, Eli, did you yeah, have anything to, else to add there? Yeah, one last note on Stowers is you know like I I think the everyday fan has largely like removed him from their mind. But yeah. this is a guy who over the last two seasons. Let's see, in 163 games at Norfolk. So, you know, a, a full major league season at Norfolk over the last two seasons. OPS is around 880. He's hit 36 home runs. His OBP is around 360. You, you know, th- this is like, and obviously the International League is sort of a hitter-friendly situation, but th- this is a very legitimate, like, prospect still. Y- you know, he by no means is seeming to, like, show that he he's not giving any indications that he's not a fourth outer fourth outfielder in MLB. I, I think that, you know, he's still, he's got 0.07 years of service time. So, you know, when you are trading this guy, it is a pretty like high floor, you know, the ceiling is definitely not that of a Kowser or Kerstad, of course, but it's a relatively high floor. He's a fourth outfielder and you get six years of control over him. Um, and so from that standpoint, I think a trade makes a lot of sense, you know, for a couple years of a reliever, you're giving sort of a like, you know, not like a foundational piece for a roster, but, you know, a cheap and kind of stable position. And you're sharing that up for a team, you know, particularly one that might be rebuilding right now that might be, et cetera, et cetera. You're giving them a piece that they can, you know, try to develop into an everyday guy or just you know, at the worst, he will be a contributor for six years at below market rates. So, yeah, I think the name that comes to mind with Stowers is uh, Mike Yastrzemski, you know, was right. in the Orioles minor league system for forever, kind of, and this was an Elias move, was he kind of was out of his picture and traded him to the Giants for nothing. And he's a viable everyday type player for the Giants, which kind of came right. out of nowhere. Stowers was a more high profile prospect than Yastrzemski was. And you know, who's to say he doesn't do something similar. So yeah, you don't just throw him away for nothing. So I think that's a good point. Um, All right. So that's, that's the, the batting order or that's the, you know, the position players. Let's talk about the pitchers, the rotation, uh, you know, we're down Kyle Bradish and John means for the start of the season. We know that, but the first three seem to be pretty much locked in with uh, Corbin Burns, Grayson Rodriguez, and Dean Kramer. Then it gets a little more interesting with uh, the, the four and the five spot. We've got Tyler Wells and Cole Irvin penciled in there, although the recent addition of Julio Tehran, I think, seems to throw something of a monkey wrench in there. Um, I think, I don't know if it was you, Eli, or Jesse. I'm not sure who was talking about it before the podcast, but we talked about potentially does Wells go to the bullpen now and does Tehran come into the rotation? Eli, you're kind of the pitching guy around here, so maybe I'll ask you about maybe that trio, though, Wells, Irvin, and Tehran. You know, how do you see that shaking out? Yeah, I, it's an interesting question. I, I don't think I'm so far as to say that, you know, Tehran is going to boot Tyler Wells. Uh, I think we got to see what he looks like. I, I think that the Orioles, 
kind of operating strategy right now is to start the season with Wells and Irvin, but I think they would also be grateful for a situation where Tehran really shows that, you know, he can hold it down for a month or two until John Means comes back, and then they can let Tyler Wells settle into that bullpen role that I think we all think he's eventually going to take on this year. Um, you know, if you look at Wells in seasons that, you know, he was predominantly a starter, like last year, you know, four of his five pitches grayed out as below average, Whereas when you put him in the by stuff plus, when you put him in the pen, you know, that 93 all of a sudden becomes 97. You can let him eat at the top of the zone a tiny bit more. And he's very much a different pitcher. So I, I think we all want to get him there eventually. But, you know, the minor league signing of Tehran, I do not think is enough to immediately bump him. Uh, I think we got to see a little bit from him. I, I would anticipate that on opening day, Tyler Wells and Cole Irvin will be in the starting rotation. Um, but, you know, I, I do think that Tehran is kind of a hopeful play uh, to bump Tyler Wells from that starting spot, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because I feel like if we would have talked about Wells and Irvin, you know, we wouldn't have known about Tehran a few weeks ago. But in terms of like your pecking order of Wells and Irvin, I feel like the vibes coming into the spring were, well, Wells is clearly, you know, a cut above. We've seen him be a really competent big league pitcher for the Orioles recently. Obviously had the struggles in the second half, two seasons in a row. But in general, we know what he can do. Whereas Irvin, we saw him kind of be a disaster early last year. Rebounded later, was kind of bouncing between roles. He was kind of the swing man in the second half. But now after that first start where Irvin's touching 96 miles per hour from the left side, then you pair that with the the reputation he had coming from the athletics as like an innings eater, solid type guy. I feel like those positions have jumped now where Irvin, I think feels more like the four and Wells, the five. And it also reminds me that Wells started last year in the bullpen. He he wasn't in the rotation to start the season. Um, so Jess, I kind of just said all that to, to vamp and kind of send it to you for what your thoughts are on, on the back of the Orioles rotation. Well, I th I think, in what you're saying about uh, Irvin and Wells, I think the other thing you have to keep in mind um, that you didn't really mention there is just the the distinction. Irvin as a long man or Irvin as a starter is roughly going to be the same Irvin, but Wells as a starter and Wells as a bullpen piece is not going to be the same Tyler Wells. So I think that's where um, the case for Irvin being in the rotation really sort of comes into play. Um, I actually do think, I think Tehran probably has a bit more of a shot um, than it sounded like Eli was describing. Um, I, I do think the Orioles can now assuming there's nothing, you know, more wrong uh, than uh, John means than sort of what we believe. Right. Right. Um, that he's not really hurt. They're just kind of right. slow playing him. Yeah, exactly. So if John means is definitely going to come back in a month, um, then I could definitely see the Orioles saying, why are we going to mess around and sort of have Tyler Wells be a starter? Let's just have him get comfortable in the bullpen. We want him there all year. And we signed Tehran. He made starts last year. If things go well, we're only going to need them four or five starts. We can keep them around until we need uh, to to let him go, basically. Um, so, you know, why why are we going to sort of jeopardize Wells for just a few starts? Um, not jeopardize him um, exactly, but let's just make things as comfortable for him as possible in the bullpen. Um, let's have him, you know, have a full year just pitching in the bullpen. Um, and then uh, as far as uh, Tehran, we'll get a few, hopefully a few good starts, even if they're not that great. It's not the end of the world because we're not relying on him to be the five for the entire year just for a month. Um, and then we'll figure things out. Um, and with the number of off days too, the Orioles have, there might be some opportunities to sort of fudge things and to even take him out of the rotation for skip his spot in the rotation for a week or something like that. Mm -hmm. If the Orioles feel like he's really not pitching well. So yeah. I just think uh, given all that, I do think uh, Tehran, right. Not that you, 
rearrange everything for Tehran because, of course, he used to be a really good pitcher. He's not that pitcher anymore. Not that you rearrange everything and uh, to accommodate him necessarily, but I think uh, he sort of works uh, as a convenient placeholder um, at the beginning and to start the season. So I could definitely yeah. see him being the five. Yeah, I do like that. I mean, it, it has felt, I will say, like, after we learned about the injuries with Braddish and the slow playing of means, it did feel like the rotation was sort of a pitcher light because then you take Wells and Irvin out of the bullpen. That makes that feel light. Like you've got to correct, you've got to balance things somehow. I think we were thinking maybe they'd go sign somebody like a Michael Lorenzen to a one-year deal because he's a guy that you could put at the back and then transition him to the bullpen when means is healthy or, or, you know, when Braddish is back or whatever, however you want to do it. Um, Tehran is certainly a lower cost, a little bit less exciting than Michael Lorenzen, although Michael Lorenzen isn't, isn't great. So if you can get Tehran for similar production for a minor league contract, I, I understand that. I'm sure the Orioles have some internal models they look at to kind of say like, Hey, we can get this guy for 10 million or this guy for a handshake and a cup of coffee. Like, what do you want to do? Uh, Tehran makes a lot. Of, so I, I like that, that justification, Jesse. Um, I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, just one more little note. I, I think Jess makes an important distinction. It, you know, I think we're talking about like, you, you know, I, I think as a consensus on our pod, we would prefer Cole Irvin in the rotation to Tyler Wells. And that's yeah. kind of how we've been saying it. But I think the distinction is that that is not necessarily because we think, you know, Cole Irvin can replicate Tyler Wells's first half last year where he led the AL and whip and all that stuff. You know, it's not necessarily that he's a better starting pitcher. It's that Wells has the upside in the bullpen that Cole Irvin does not. Right. And Cole Irvin is who he is, you know, as a starter and basically like is not very valuable to us in the bullpen. Whereas Tyler Wells really can be extremely valuable. We saw that in his rookie season. Um, and that's kind of the motivation for wanting to get him out of the rotation and kind of putting him below the peck, like below Irvin on the pecking order for the rotation in my eyes. Yeah. Well, and Irvin is going to be a long man in the bullpen and Tyler Wells can right. do multiple, have multiple roles in the bullpen too. So that's right. also important. Can handle high leverage. Right. right. Well, and, and to your point with like fudging things early in the season, you don't, totally need a long man early in the season because there's the off days and things. And and plus like the Orioles have a few options that we'll probably touch on really quickly here that you can call them up in a pinch. If like the, if somebody gets knocked out a day and you had to do a bullpen game all of a sudden, and now we need Bruce Zimmerman to come up and throw four innings on a Tuesday, like we could probably do that. And it's, it's not a huge deal. So I think that's important too. You don't, you don't need a long man in March and April necessarily. Um. Okay, cool. Uh, then moving into the bullpen again, a couple of the spots seem solidified. Of course, no Felix Bautista this year, or at least they're saying maybe he could potentially come back very late in the season, but he's not in the opening day discussion. Um, so the back of the bullpen is going to be Craig Kimbrell as the closer, Yenier Cano in sort of a setup role followed by CNL Perez, Danny Coulomb, and hopefully a 100% healthy Dylan Tate. Those seem to be the locks that leaves um, two more spots open if we're considering Tyler Wells as part of the bullpen and Julio Tehran as part of the rotation. So two spots left. Let's talk about some guys that had success in the big leagues last year for the Orioles, and that would be Mike Ballman and Brian Baker. I I think it's interesting there. Ballman had a pretty good season for the Orioles and then was demoted late in the year, was not part of the postseason roster. Eli, you kind of speculated maybe there was some injury or some tiredness. He, he he certainly wasn't quite as effective late in the season, so there could be some of that there. But, you know, if Bauman is healthy, you know, I, I don't know that I call him a lock for this roster, but I like him a lot better than some of the other options I see here. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I was doing some, uh, like, data diving on Wanda and Charles and kind of trying to, like, understand exactly how good his fastball is. Um, and I, you know, like went and did some filtering for like pitchers who had thrown 104 seam fastballs in AAA and at over 96 miles an hour. And I was like, wow, Wanderson Charles is like in terms of induced vertical break right at the top. And then I was like, oh, no way. Mike Bauman is right there. You, you know, Bauman's fastball really is, you know, it's 
coming from a high arm slot it is fast it has a lot of hop it, it's like there's a reason that the orioles have you know continued to try to find a role for him um so yeah i i, I mean i personally i think mike bauman is not going to try to be pushed through waivers. I think his stuff is too good. Um, before last season, Eno Saris actually shouted him out as somebody who in spring training had made a couple tweaks and looked like his stuff was going to be really good. And I think for you know a good chunk of the season, we did see that and he was pretty effective. Um, so yeah, I see Mike Bauman here, Brian Baker. I don't know, he, he, yeah, he, he, he just hurts everyone's hearts. You know, like we all remember game two, um, yeah. So I, I yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> he's a, I don't he's, know. he's a guy he that's be there. He's a guy that's going to get gobbled up if the Orioles don't keep him though. You know, he's that skill set. Right. He's right. What was it? Shane Green a couple years ago. I mean, he's a better version of of that, right? Where Green threw really hard, had an interesting repertoire, got right. gobbled at right gobbled up right away. Brian Baker is another level of that where he he's a he's a classic major league relief pitcher you know the stuff yeah. sometimes is like wow he did that and then at the same time it's like oh he did that again like yeah. awesome that was by fan graphs <laughs> or yeah by stuff plus you know his entire repertoire is 20 percent better than league average which is you know astounding i mean he's got three plus pitches and he has the ability to punch guys out which we have talked about is something that the orioles bullpen as a whole does not have so much hopefully craig kimbrell will show a lot of that but you know he's limited to one inning um you know cano perez coulomb tate all four of them are better at getting ground balls and soft contact so um you know baker does have that ability it's just can he throw strikes which has been a significant problem for a long time <laughs> jesse's shaking his head <laughs> uh, yeah I, I i don't know i I think Baker is more up in the air than Bauman for me. And we do have, you know, a number of guys that we brought in that I assume we're going to talk about shortly that, you know, have shown good stuff and could do something. Yes, we can talk about those guys. Um, or Jess, if you want to talk about Baker and Bauman, if you have any thoughts there, you were shaking your head aggressively there about no i mean I, I do agree i think out of the two bombman is is more or less the lock um I yeah can't re you can't really say that right uh but i i do feel very confident that bombman will be there okay and baker less baker, so but yeah def yeah definitely less so uh than bombman uh i mean the thing with him is he's just been so bad um like right he, he jumps, did have a yeah. yeah he did have a good a good season a couple of years ago um so i think obviously that you know that's what the orioles are trying to revive um but it's just like at it with bullpen guys i mean you talk about the volatility of bullpen guys all the time tyler and uh yeah i mean if he doesn't have his command and he can't walk guys like he's been doing and I mean, they've and it even goes beyond the command. There've just been a lot of issues with his, uh, with him. So, um, yeah, I, I think I think he would. I think he's sort of one of the the few guys on the team that he sort of has something he has to prove in spring training. Um, yeah, what I will say about so Ballman is out of options. That does factor in here when we talk about roster flexibility. Baker, according to Fangraphs roster resource, he has one option left. So there could be some flexibility there. Um, I, I assume these numbers are correct. If they're not, please let us know. But if Baker does have an option left, maybe there's something there they can do. Um, because there's a bunch of guys here that Eli kind of mentioned. We The Orioles added this offseason in Matt Crook, Caleb Ort, Jonathan Heasley, Tucker Davidson. I think of those guys, I think Heasley has an option left. But I think the rest of them are out. But I can I can verify that. Yeah, Davidson's out. Uh, yeah, I, I had thought that Jonathan Heasley was out too. Honestly. Yeah, according to roster resource, Heasley has one left. Okay, my bad. And so do, so does Ort. So these are guys. These are some flexible some guys uh, here. But um, yeah, I, I don't know, I know if you've got any thoughts on these guys there, uh, Eli. 
Yeah, I, I can also say Jacob Webb is also out of options. Too. That's right. Um, yeah. He's another guy with us. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I think that, you know, we brought these guys in uh, like Tucker Davidson. You said he has no options. Uh, Davidson has no options. Correct. Yeah, we brought him in because he was flashing that splitter at the end of the year. That was absolutely dominant. Um, you know, so we brought in guys with these interesting characteristics, I think. Um I don't know. I, I I I tend to think that the Orioles, as we have talked about, will do whatever is best for keeping guys in the organization for the early part of the year. So I, I think that those with no options will be given um you know kind of given the leg up in this. Um I you know, so that kind of brings us down to um Davidson and Webb. Uh, I, I think that, I don't know, I, I, I always just tend toward the Orioles go with the safer thing, which is probably Jacob Webb. We had him last year. We're more familiar with him. We've established, you know, how to refine what he's doing throughout the course of a season in a way that, you know, we haven't with Tucker Davidson just because we haven't had that experience with him. Um, that said, you know, Jacob Webb does not have, you know, the one super flashy pitch like Davidson does and Davidson has been getting a good number of innings. He's already thrown three innings in the spring. Um, so clearly they're trying to give him a legitimate look here. Um, you know, I, I, I think it's too early to really say which, you know, which of them will end up with. Um, I think we'll try to maintain that roster flexibility as much as we can. So I think everyone else gets options and one of those two joins Bauman in the bullpen. Well, so Davidson's left-handed too, right? Webb's right-handed. Yeah. So potentially yeah, that's it, a factor too. Could be a factor. I, I think we're pretty comfy probably. We already have two lefties in the bullpen between Perez and Coulomb. So yeah. it doesn't factor in as much for me, um, but that is a good point. Yeah, so that that was it. We were kind of just like workshopping that in real time there when we found out <laughs> yeah. Baker has an option. Probably some we should have looked up before. but And again, that maybe is wrong, but if that is, then... Yeah, I mean, we talk about flexibility all the time. Like, there's kind of no reason to have him on the opening day roster and think you, unless you think he is head and shoulders above the no option guys. Um, which I think, I think I do like Baker more than Webb, but having known nothing about Tucker Davidson apart from what Eli just pretty much talked about, maybe you give Davidson a shot and see how it goes. And you can always call Baker up, but that's kind of life in a big league bullpen there. Um, Jesse, I don't know if you have any. Any strong feelings about sort of the other guys there that we've brought in that I feel like none of us really know a whole lot about yet because we haven't seen a lot of them pitch yet. But any thoughts? Yeah, no. I mean, just, yeah, what I've heard, rumors yeah. and stuff. Yeah. And then apart from them, the only other two guys that we didn't really talk about were Keegan Aiken and Bruce Zimmerman. Um, you know, we've seen these guys with the Orioles a bunch. Uh, they're more of the long man mold. I, we've seen both of them have success, you know. Zimmerman had that great opening or the home opener start at Camden Yards a couple years ago. That was really nice, but has kind of struggled in an everyday role or in a regular role. Aiken has had moments where he looked really good in relief, but then kind of reality sets in. And I don't know that you love his repertoire on the mound uh, as a long man. And again, we don't necessarily need a long man early, but you know, and, and also they each have one option left. So again, there's kind of less incentive for the Orioles to have them on the opening day roster unless they really need a long man type. And I, I don't know that that need exists early on. Um, yeah, I agree. I, I, I do not think that either of them really have a shot at the opening day roster in my eyes. Yeah. Fair enough. If they do, something's gone wrong. Right. right which that's the old, always the caveat. <laughs> if there's an injury like this kind of upends everything. And, you know, we've got four weeks between now when we're recording on March 1st and opening day. Um, But, but yeah, that's kind of how we see it now. So let's just do a quick recap of like the fringy stuff. Uh, we talked about the infield. I think we sort of came down on the fact that none of the fringy guys are going to make it unless you consider Mateo and, and Urias, uh, fringy They're They're going to both be on the team, but no holiday, no Wong, no Tyler Nevin or Nick Maton for, for those fans of those two players. Um, and then in the outfield, I think we came down on McKenna making the team and Kerstad making the team. Is that correct? Unfortunately, I think okay. yeah. Eli Begrudge. I'm 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 hold, yeah, I'm holding out hope that 
we choose Kazer over McKenna, but I, I'm I, not convinced that it's right. Yeah, I'm hoping for that. Yeah, I made clear I was hoping for that too. Okay, so just me. I was the only one well, that said I, McKenna. I mean, Jess and I have both said hoping. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I'm not sure I'm ready to say I think that Kazer is on the opening day roster, but I hope that he Fair is. Enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, I think we all have Tehran making the opening day roster potentially as a starter. Eli, maybe. Uh, yeah, I'll let you two hold on that. I, okay. I, I'm not quite ready to say it. You know, I, he has been, you know, reasonably effective. So I think, you know, everything that you guys said with employing him for a month and then sending him on his way, like, <laughs> I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, and, you. you know, I, it's valid thinking for sure. So I, I am not. Uh, trying to poo-poo on that. I just, I'm not quite ready to say it is all. Fair enough. Um, and then if he does make it, there would just be two sort of fringy spots on the ro- on the bullpen uh, beyond the locks. And we're giving those currently to Mike Ballman. And I think we settled on Tucker Davidson, uh, which would land Brian Baker in the minors if he does have an option left, which he he does according to roster resource. Yeah. I, I'll just give a quick note on Davidson. You know, at, People talked more about this at the time, but last year his split finger had a batting average against a 105, slugging against a 158, and the expected batting average and expected slugging were even lower. Um, You know, he got whiffs on over 52% of swings against it. It's a wildly effective pitch. So just for reference, like, this is the reason we're talking about that as a weapon. Hopefully the Orioles are employing that. Um... But yeah, I, I mean him versus Jacob Webb, I'm I'm not gonna go to war over it for sure. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Um, all right, well that kind of wraps up our our discussion on our projection of the opening day roster. We tried to fold in some some news of moves the Orioles have made in recent weeks. Um, it's you know opening day is almost here. We got a couple weeks left. Spring training's in full gear right now. The Orioles just can't stop winning baseball games. It's uh it's a glorious time down there in Sarasota. And the, I don't know, Southern Florida area. Eli knows that area, I think, the best of the three of us, I would imagine. It's sunny. <laughs> it's sunny. It's. I think today it was up in here in Baltimore. It is, well, I'm not quite in Baltimore, but I'm close to Baltimore. 47 degrees and cloudy. So You know, it's funny you say 47 because <laughs> it's 74 here. Wow. A little, you put them together, you got a little palindrome of a, <laughs> of a temperature there. Beautiful um but okay jesse anything else to add there to the temperature discussion or anything on the roster <laughs> how is it in nope. new york what's it like in new york i mean it's cold okay okay it's cold weatherman i, I, I don't know any urologist details yes. that. fair enough but we that's what you come to this podcast for is the weather updates on the entire eastern part of the united states we have got you covered top middle and bottom north south and, and mid-atlantic <laughs> absolutely um <laughs> All right, well, that wraps up that. We'll come back to you guys um, next week with a, with another episode. Not sure of the topic just yet, but if you don't want to miss it, what you can do is subscribe to us on the podcast feed of your preference. They're on Spotify. We're on Apple. We're on Google. Check us out there. If you like what you hear there, give us a rating and a review. We would really appreciate it. Five stars would be awesome. Any issues you've got with the podcast, please reach out to us at thewarehousepod at gmail.com. Also, you can see us on YouTube. We recorded this video for this episode. So if you're listening to it on audio, please head over to YouTube and check us out there. You can subscribe to us for free there as well. We're a little bit over 200 subscribers now. You guys have been incredible. We really appreciate the support there. Would love to get to 300 now. I thought if we got to 200 by opening day, that would be amazing. We crushed that. So let's get to 300 by opening day. That would be amazing and incredible. Yeah. And and you would validate me asking for it right now, which Jesse and Eli I think is a little bit crazy no 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 no. it, it, it was kind of hilarious it. like tyler started it's... asking and then instantly we doubled our subscribers so because <laughs> people are nice they're like oh this helps them and, and we like it like let's subscribe so we really really appreciate yeah. it so it does help us we are grateful and i i think overall like our numbers on youtube have shot up as yeah. we have been starting to do a little bit more over there so grateful for all the support on youtube to those listening yeah, and if you're on YouTube, you know, leave a comment down below on on what you think of our predictions here. Did we get something dead wrong? Let us know. We try to respond to every comment we get. So leave us a comment there and we'll try to get involved. Um, it's been awesome. I, uh, yeah. I have a quick prediction. I think we're gonna get railed for our Jackson Holiday comments. 
and that's fine. That's I, I, you know, I love the passion. I just, yeah, I, I would love for, I would love for him to be on opening day. I don't think it'll happen, but I think we're going to get slammed for that. Yeah. With a wet blanket podcast. That's us. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, And then finally, just uh, follow us on social media at the warehouse pod on Twitter threads. We're on Instagram. We're not super active, but give us a follow there. Um, but mostly going to be the podcast feed and YouTube for, for other interactions. But I think that's all we got guys. Um, we'll be back next week with probably a solo episode from one of us. And uh, yeah, but it's been fun getting to reconnect for this uh, last 45 minutes or an hour, whatever it's been. We haven't done it in a long time. It was great. I miss you guys. Been cool. Absolutely. Well, I think that wraps it up until next time. This has been the warehouse podcast. I'm Tyler. I'm Jesse. And I'm Eli. Thanks for listening. You know, when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks. That's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming. And we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to people are the worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.